We'll be in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 12 through 15. But before, before we do that, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound to us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the administration of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Notice once again, in Christ, in him, being repeated all over over again, uh, the necessity of our our union with Christ. Now as we come to Colossians chapter 3, we'll see echoes of the same thing that, that Paul wrote in Ephesians and in other places as well. And the reason we see that is because it's the same Holy Spirit that worked in him to write uh, these letters. When Paul greeted the believers in Thessalonica in the first letter to them, you could see the joy. You could hear the joy in his words. In chapter 1 and verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved, beloved brethren, your election by God, the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope were all fueled by this. Knowing, brethren, your election by God. How did he know that they were God's elect? Because they embraced Christ. Because they had demonstrated that Christ was living in them. And so when he wrote the second letter to them, this would come up again. In chapter 2 and verse 13, 
But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. When Peter wrote to the dispersed, dispersed believers in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, he referred to them as elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Now it's funny when some people come across that. Because the pride of man is so strong and because the pride of man wants to say that I did it. So some will say when, when Peter wrote, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Say, well, you see foreknowledge there. God chose him because he knew they would choose him. So it was what they did that caused God to do what he did. So it's what they did that caused them to be saved. So it's what they did that make them co-saviors. It's not what God knew about them. It's who God knew from before the foundation of the world. And how did it work out? If he knew you were going to make that decision, why would you need sanctification by the Spirit? But that's the second part of it. In sanctification of the Spirit. And again, in chapter 2 and verse 9, he writes, For you are a, what? A chosen generation. We know very well the rest of the verse, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people, particular people. Revelation 17 and verse 14 says, those with him, those who are with Christ are called, are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. And as we have read previously in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, we see clearly that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, not because we were holy and without blame, but that in the choosing and the work of election, in the process of sanctification, we would become holy. And in Christ, through his justifying of us, we become blameless, predestinating us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself because we were choice and because there's something in us that caused God to say I've got to have that person no according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will it's according to his good pleasure which he purposed what in himself And so election is a true doctrine of the scripture and it cannot be 
denied that it is there. Even when we come to our our passage here today in chapter 3 and verse 12, therefore as the elect of God. It means that God chooses people. He will save. It's also clearly taught, taught that throughout scripture, but I remember oh, probably it's been well over 20 years ago being at a, a, a meeting, a monthly meeting of the Little River Baptist Association and uh, when I walked in, someone says, oh, there's that one that teaches about election. And one of the old men stood up. He was not serving anymore. He was retired. And he said, look, we all know this about election. And when it comes to election, God has a vote. The devil has a vote. And you decide the final vote. You cast the deciding vote. Perhaps because of our own earthly elections, we've become accustomed to seeing dead people vote. What foolishness there is when people have to leave the word of God so they can hold on to their own pride. I cast a deciding vote. What does that make me? Here we go again. It makes me my savior. God can't do it because under that system, Satan has canceled God's vote. So it's up to you. But I can assure you of this. To the degree that you think you contributed to your salvation, it is to that degree you are lost. Jesus suffered what he did to accomplish salvation, not to make it possible, but to accomplish it. For those who of themselves, even with God's grace, were helpless. So what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. Even if you had the grace of God to behave yourself and not sin, you still can't atone for what you have done. If our salvation depends even on the tiniest bit of our cooperation to that degree that our cooperation is imperfect, to that degree we are unsaved. We know Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for good to those who what? Who love God. And the ones who love God are what? The ones who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew. Whom he foreknew. Not what he foreknew about them, but whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many nations. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. That, the, that, 
that effectual call. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You scour the pages of Scripture. Take out your magnifying glass and go to town. And you will not find anywhere that is written, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and you to salvation. It's the power of God. And Paul has spent the first two chapters of Colossians pointing out what God has done through Christ for sinners who are dead in sins and trespasses. And every time this is preached, there are those who will say, we've never heard this before. They will say, it's not something we have preached around here. But let's remember something that's very important. The church was here before you. Unless you're the 2,000-year-old man, you don't know what the church has preached historically if you just go by what you've heard in your lifetime. There's a whole counsel of God being ignored if this is not being preached. And I've heard it said any number of times by other preachers in the area that education ruins preachers. And it reminds me of Paul in front of Felix and and he says to him, Paul, too much learning has made you mad. And I will agree that education in some ways has ruined some. But I'll have you know this too. The three biggest cults in America were founded by uneducated men. And did you also know that the father of revivalism, Charles Grandison Finney, was also uneducated and was also a heretic. But his his methods are still used His book is still taught. And yet, he would have been banished before the 1800s. If you don't know what God has done for you in saving your soul, you will never love him as you should. Or the love that you have, the depth of it will be shallow. And a God that needs your help And a God that needs your permission to do what he's going to do is not a God at all. It's hard to just have a calm voice when you see people who don't who might push back against that truth. I'm not saying that you do. I'm not saying, but it's around us. It still is. 
There are some more and more who have embracing the historical truth that's been told by the church in the word of God. But there are still some who are fighting it very hard. And again, you go back to this kind of idea that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And somehow they turn that to the, instead of the door to the church of Laodicea, it's the door to your heart. So Jesus is standing at the door of your heart waiting for you to open and come in. So you can come in. And my beloved brethren, if, if he needs your permission to save you, he'll never get it. God needs our permission to do something. Then what position do we hold? We're above him. Instructing him. And that may make some people comfortable, but it makes me mighty nervous. Last week we were told by the Apostle Paul what to put off. In verse 5 he said... Therefore, put to death your members, which are on earth. And he, so he gives the image of a body, the members of a body, the, this, this old body of sin. And he gave a whole list of those things to put off or put to death. In verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. And he gives another list. Put these things off, as we were pointing out last week, like, Nasty, contaminated, dung-coated clothes. And you notice in verse 5, he says, Therefore, put to death. And that therefore is based upon the same thing as the therefore in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God. And it's based on what's written in verses 1 through 4. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So based on your new identity, and based upon those things that God has done and is doing in you through his Spirit, progressively sanctifying you. Verse 12, he's telling us then to exercise the various graces of the Spirit. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Exercise the various graces of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul gave us a bit of a catalog. Of course, it's not the fullness of everything that the Holy Spirit does in us, but in 
Galatians 5 and verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit. God at work in us. Christ in you. And those who have that going on have crucified the flesh in verse 24 with its passions and desires. Yes, not perfectly, not yet. Not in this life. But as we stated a couple of Wednesdays ago, the longer you are in Christ, the more hatred of sin there should be. If you were saved as a Christian at the age of 20, by the time you reach the age of 80, you should hate sin much more than you did at age 20. Ephesians 1 tells us, of the works that God had foreordained that we should walk in them. These are the things that we're seeing here in Colossians chapter 3. As the elect of God, as the chosen ones, as, as become those whom he has shed his grace, upon whom he has shed his grace and mercy and love, upon those who in Christ are holy and beloved, he says, put on, put on a list of different things. You've been told what to shed. Here's what to put on. The first one is tender mercies. Tender mercies. The best understanding we can give on that very quickly is compassion upon those who are in distress. It's inward pity. It's weeping with those who weep. And the next thing he says is kindness. Kindness. While tender mercies are an internal thing, kindness is the outward expression of the inward tender mercies. It is tender mercies exercised. And then he says humility. Paul writes to us in Romans 12 and verse 3, For I say... Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. As Calvin wrote, no one will be kind and gentle but the one who lays aside high-mindedness. Well, that's an old term, but it's a good one. High-mindedness. I mind myself as higher than other people. Meekness. To be free from envy, which is also an expression of humility. It's a quiet submission to the will of God, which gives birth to patience, bearing with one another's, and including forgiveness. All these are extremely interconnected and especially in verse 14 but above all these things put on love put on love which is the bond of perfection see without this 
All is nothing. You can try to do the first part of the list in and of your own strength, but there's a problem. If you do it without love, it becomes bitterness. It becomes drudgery. It becomes increasingly frustrated. But we are reminded, Romans 5 and verse 5, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it's only from that that true sympathy and real kindness and undisguised humility and all the other graces proceed. It's no wonder, as we saw in Galatians 5 verse 22 on that list of the fruit of the Spirit, remember what came first? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he says in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace that believers have with God. Let it rule. Let it reign. Let it be a governing principle. As Jesus was preparing to leave, knowing his death was upcoming, he was preparing his disciples for his death. And in John chapter 14, and in verse 27, he said to them, Peace, I leave with you my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This peace. Peace with God. Peace with his workings. Peace with his plan. Peace with his character. Yeah, Conditions around us distress us and disturb us, don't they? They ought to. We can't watch some of the things that are going on without being deeply moved by these things. Neither should our souls be greatly troubled by these things. Jesus spoke of these troubles that will happen throughout the church age, he spoke of them as birth pangs. Now, of course, even if I, if I, uh, if I thought myself a woman, I wouldn't win any swim meets because I don't swim that well to start with. But even if I thought myself a woman, I could not have a baby. So I don't know what it's like to go into labor pains. But I have had kidney stones, and they say it's close. But isn't it interesting? The mother goes through the labor pains and And then how do they describe what happens? The child has been delivered. And when the kidney stones go through the path that they're supposed to go, what do we say? They're passed. But the baby has a particular canal to go through, a process to go through to be born. And the kidney stones have a particular path that we pray, we'll go through 
and not have to have any kind of other things done. But they have a path that they follow before they are passed. And that's the image that Christ is giving to us. In this world, there's troubles and there's trials. And there, these things are part of those labor pains. But guess what? The world's going to be delivered. A new heaven and new earth is coming. But we're here throughout the church age through the labor part. And you know, this makes it clear that with all the pain that a woman has, she has that joy at the end as she holds her new child. And again, the new heavens and new earth, what delight we're going to see. This would be all worth it. That's what Paul was saying, that these, these uh, momentary trials, they're momentary compared to eternity. And they're just working for us a greater weight of glory. Keep in mind as we close on this. When you get up in the morning and you get dressed, you don't just jump into your clothes. Even if you just wear coveralls, you just don't jump into them. You put them on slowly and methodically. And so as Paul is telling us here to put on these things, we're not going to jump right into them. We're not going to show perfect meekness every single day. We're not going to show perfect patience every single day. If that's the case, I should have been struck by lightning 150 times, at least. We're not going to show every one of these things perfectly every single day by any means, but to some degree, we should get more and more developed in them. But we don't put up charts. We don't put up growth rates. That's for cattle and crops. By a certain age, it should be this high. It should weigh this much. Each and every one of us, our, our sanctification comes at different speeds and we shouldn't expect the same thing from everybody. But we do use the ordinary means of grace and rejoice that the Lord is at work in us. And those means of grace are the words preached, the word preached and read. It's the sacraments, it's prayer. It's those things that come from our gathering together. There's nothing in scripture says that you're going to get sanctified all the better by being by yourself. It doesn't work that way. And when those who do go off by themselves, guess what they come up with? Weird stuff. That's where the cults come from. So seek those things. Put them on but know that it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's stand together for prayer.